What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now you've fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get puppies, Mm. brothers or something like that. And have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best. Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies or shepherds. Yep. So if we're going to get them, the only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get Mm. a German shepherd or a Dutch shepherd from is House Hamburg shepherds in Germany. Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So now that we've got the dogs, what's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good news is Mm -hmm. they- they can send those shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So what about we get one sent here to Australia? Right. You'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, because mm-hmm. we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs yep. will be met by Einswick Dog Quip. Oh, the buffet himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars, all that training stuff. devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah. You'll be yep. able to get that from Ironswick because yep. you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up north, further north yep. in, in North America yep. and go and see old mate, Mach Le Point. Yep. And get everything from Canine everything. Dynamics. Oh, Canine Dynamics. Yep. Yep. I'll get the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything. Yeah. I can get that from Canon Dynamics. Yep. From in North America. Mm-hmm. There is one part of this that is somewhat unfair. Well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benware. Yeah. So I'm actually going to get my dog. Tra- I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland. as well. Ashland, Ashland Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So everything both there is. Yeah. I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home, train that dog. Well, you're sipping- Cafe lattes. Just gallivanting all over the world. (laughs) Gallivanting. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And across the table from us is everybody's favorite guest. It's Bertie Oshidi. Part of the fam. Hi, everybody. How are you? Very well. How can I be not well? Catching up. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. You're mm. always our most popular guest. I'm pretty sure people want us just to fuck off and it'd be the birdie show. <laughs> well, I think I told you that when we put out that little Instagram survey, what's your favorite episode, the most abundant response was anything with birdie in it. Thank you. Thank so we had you. random episodes here and there, and I think probably about almost a dozen people really, in reality, said almost anything with Birdie in it. Thank you. That's really, really kind. Yeah. Really, really kind. 
But I do think that people have to understand that the only reason why I'm doing this is because I'm A, surrounded by friends. B, these friends are very hardworking and make an amazing podcast. So I'm really grateful that I can be here because I, there's no chance I will have my own podcast. Uh, that's not my forte. <laughs> no, thank you. So thank you for crashing and yeah. being me part of, letting me be part of your show. Well, that kind of makes me happy, you know, because anytime you've got anything important to share, you can come on here and share it with us. Like that's you're, it. You're part of the gang, part of the fam. Well, you are family. Mm. And also, I think last time you said you had a million listeners? Almost a million downloads. Like we're so close on the wow. cusp of it at the moment. Mm. I would say probably... Oh, it depends on some episodes really just blow the roof off and some of them get normal subscribers, but I would say it will happen soon. I'm so happy for you. Like, congratulations. There's so much effort going into it. My husband always listens to the podcast and he's like, yeah, the quality is just really good. Yeah. Shout out to Glenn because when we first started the podcast, I was like, yeah, we'll just do it on our phone. It'll be fine. It'll be like, that'll be totally (laughs) fine. It's not. It's a studio now. Yeah. And I think what I've definitely learned now, the more that I'm getting involved in the digital production side is sound is the hardest part. Like without a doubt, sound is the hardest thing to get right. And so Glenn does an amazing job putting it all together and has essentially become an audio engineer for the oh, for the benefit thanks, of, of others. Yeah, no, literally like the other day I was like kind of looking at what am I going to do this year because, you know, COVID and everything always keeps you on your toes and I had to cancel quite a few things or quite a few workshops. So I'm like, oh, what do I want to do? And I'm like, oh, maybe I should record a meditation. And then I'm like, I can't. And then I'm like, but Glenn knows how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you totally should do that. Oh, my God. People would fucking lap that up. You like a guided meditation yeah i just really am on this track at the moment where i feel there's a lot of fear out there a lot of fear and anxiety and i'm kind of wishing well that's what i'm creating at the moment is my web page is launching mm-hmm. i know thank you everyone for staying everybody's waiting patiently yeah, like six months later and i want to put in that library common tools that you need to be okay in life and they're for free mm-hmm. like i just think they should be there and if you want to have extra services on top yeah you can Either collect trash for the Pachamama glow up and get access that way, or you can pay. But I really want that I have, that I give people access to really good stuff that makes their life better because Mm -hmm. I think we could do better as humankind. Mm. I think we should step up. I think if you've got some sort of meditation vocal track coming out, Larry Crone will be first in there. Yeah. <laughs> be- Do you want to say it? <laughs> Larry will be first in line to download that. He'll be, cover- he'll yeah. be lathered up in baby oil, <laughs> wearing leopard skin Larry, underwear. Larry, don't listen. Don't listen, Larry. Larry's um, looking amazing at the moment. He's all buffed up. and Yeah, he's he, jacked. Yeah, I was watching a video of him swimming around the pool with one of his dogs and he looks like a brute. I um, like Larry a lot. Larry was so sweet to me in America. Larry is an actual, you know, one things, you know, one of the things I really admire about Larry is that he's a genuine person through and through. Like there's no potential issues with Larry. He just is who he is and he doesn't make any apologies for it whatsoever. Like he says the wrong thing. He says the right thing. He was just saying he got a ban from Facebook. He went to Facebook jail for calling oh, someone a little bitch and that he'd see him on the field one day. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the thing I really love about Larry is he doesn't fake who he is on social media. Yeah, like there unfiltered. is, that's it. It's just Larry Crone. Larry is Larry Crone. He do, he's cool he's that? a really lovely guy and I've got a lot of respect for him because he never fakes who he is. He's just Larry Crone. So I know we've got a real topic we want to talk about, but you just reminded me of a funny event in my life and I, 
I'm going to be thinking about this if I don't tell the story for the whole thing and I won't okay. be able to get involved. Get it off your chest. You reminded me then when you said he's going to be wearing his leopard print underpants. <laughs> <laughs> so a long time ago, we're talking like 20 years ago, I was out, I think I was seeing a movie, I was with a friend and there was like a pop-up at Broadway Shopping Centre here. There was like a pop-up store of like men's underwear and he's like, oh, I need new underwear, I'm going to grab those. And there was like some print ones and he he makes this joke about like, oh, look, I'll get some sexy underwear. And the guy behind the counter is this like South American guy goes, did I hear you say you want this sexy underwear? (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at him, he looks at him and he goes, uh, yeah, I do. And he goes, these are not sexy underwears. These are sexy underwears. And he pulls from <laughs> under the counter. <laughs> under the counter underwear. A pair of like silk leopard print oh, men's no. underpants. And he goes, if it is sexy underpants that you seek, these are them. <laughs> and so, of course, my friend bought the sexy underpants. And they were his, like, going out underpants. And every time he'd go out every weekend, you know, we were, like, young diggers in the army, right? So, like, you get dressed up because you leave in the army base, you're going out in the town, and he would be like, I have put on my sexy underpants. <laughs> but just representing the opposite sex, you know, that sex matters. But <laughs> that's not sexy. <laughs> it's the opposite yes. of sexy. Yes. But it was a very funny joke. <laughs> it was, and we enjoyed it a lot. Everyone listening, don't take fashion advice from yeah. right now. Thank you. If a South American man offers you leopard print underpants, you take them. No, yeah. you don't. Did they, did they become his lucky underpants? Yeah, they were his, like, did I'm he, going Did he out. get a superstitious attachment to them? I'd say so. Mm. We should get him on to talk about it. Yeah. I have lucky underpants, though. I get it. Really? Yeah, right. I don't think this is appropriate. For yeah, the okay. Podcast, so let's move on. All right. Enough of the, <laughs> the sexy underpants podcast. Hey, Bertie. Hey, Pat. You got a topic. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do have a topic. Due to recent worldwide events, I feel like everyone's just holding on. Like I can tell in my Facebook feed, the messages I'm getting, the emails I'm getting, people are hurting and struggling. You know, there's a lot of fear out there and it's real fear. It's not imagined fear. You know, people are losing their businesses at the moment. We can't see loved ones because of travel restrictions. And I just thought, what can I do, right? Like I'm a person that when I'm being put under pressure, I do better when I have a plan than when I don't have a plan. And I'm like, wow, well, what, what what do I want to do? Because I do believe it's so easy and it's also a bit of an ego trap to go like, oh, I have tools, but then how do you get those tools? How do you make them work, right? Like you can have awareness around things, but you kind of step up and do something with them. Otherwise you're just giving people words, but nothing to do. And that made me think that I really want to start focusing on giving people strategies and tools how they can help themselves just so that they can cope better. And um, I tapped into Robert Sapolsky a little bit again. And even he says, you know, when your amygdala, your fear center is already activated, it's much easier to stay in a fearful state than to come out of it. And I can tell in the community where we are, and we're in a beautiful community that's really resilient in the mountains, that people are more wary of others, you know, people are snappier, people are more critical. It's just not a nice vibe at the moment. And I wish for us that we can change that, that we can shift it maybe to a bit more of a kind, compassionate, loving space. Because I do think that the world goes through crazy times at the moment and I don't see an end. So we have to do our best individually that we as a group do well. I noticed yesterday I was the street getting some supplies There's an IGA up here, which is one of our small chain supermarkets. 
And when I walked in there, a lady walked towards me and she actually gave me a wide berth. And she wasn't the only one. Like people, you can generally see people are arcing away from each other where they'd usually almost brush shoulders with you in any other normal circumstance. But yeah, the new outbreak and everything like that has really got people wired. However, you kind of understand like any time you put on the news, which people are abundantly flocking to, which is great for the news channels at the moment, it's always stay away from people, keep 1.5 metres apart, get the vaccine, do this, do that, be socially responsible, get the jab, blah, 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 blah. So it is arousing people's amygdala. It's red letters on the screen all the time. It's always flashing up. It's basically saying state of emergency, 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 and danger. Yes, it is. And and there's reality to it, right? Yeah. Like I'm not here discussing if COVID exists or not. No way. Like my family got impacted by it. So, so there's reality to that fear. And I'm just saying that we have to learn again to soothe ourselves again just so that we're not always in this state because mm. we have to make good informed decisions here. And it doesn't help anyone if we are all the time driven in fear mode. Mm. Does that make – or am I the only one thinking about that? No, I, you see that all the time. And I think that it's like layered stress. It's compounding stress mm. all the time. You see people like – you know, impacted their income or just their day-to-day. Maybe they can't regularly see their support person, mm. you know, and I think a lot of people maybe, certainly this is something I've realized in my life is that you don't always necessarily know who your support network is because it might just be happening organically and you don't think like these are the people that my interactions with these people is what keeps me sane. You don't notice that until it's gone then it's, you know, it heavily impacts people. And I, and I think for sure we've definitely seen that in the community. We have, and I believe the interesting thing at the moment is that we have to accept that people have different realities and different views on things. I totally agree with you that a support system is so important and I think that we can have support system within staying safe at the moment. And I think that's what I'm trying to give people opportunities and tools to stay kind and helpful with each other within safety measures. Mm. So, for instance, I was really touched by my neighbor the other day. So in the mountains, we people love being outside. So we are, as a community, having this underlying consent that it's really important at the moment in lockdown to keep your immune system up. Mm-hmm. So people start bartering in a COVID-safe way. So all of a sudden you have presents in your letterboxes. And my neighbor dropped off two kilos of organic lemons and I traded some foraged turkey tail mushroom with them. And it's just like, they're like, hey, how are you going? Do you keep your walking up? Do you get some fresh air every day? And it's just this this positive attitude of, hey, do you need anything? And I really like that. And I think we're really lucky in the mountains that we have that because in the city, I think that might be harder. Yeah. I think within communities, you have it within small communities. And and I think you have to have that already for it to last through difficult times. Mm. Like that's what I I find is when if you're waiting until things go bad and then you're like, oh, like I need support from people. It's too late at that point. You need to have established that. That's what I think in, especially in the dog training industry, like professional networks and that kind of thing is like, by the time you realize you need it, it's too late. You've got to be, you've got to be proactive in doing that kind of thing so that when you do need it, it's already there and it's an established network to fall back on. Resilience is established ideally when you don't need it. Mm. I think the difficult thing for us at the moment, and I agree with what you just said then, I think the difficult thing for us at the moment is that people feel that other people in the community have become weaponized. 
And that's the scary thing for them is that you can see people avoiding people like, oh, you're a potential risk to me and my family. I can't have you near me. Mm. Whereas that's not what human beings seek. They don't seek that sort of distance. I mean, we're tribal. There's people that we do want to be around and there's people that we prefer not to be around. However, when you're suspicious all the time, you can see people like looking around more. Some people might not see it, but I see it on a regular basis. I see the way people are stepping away from people when you're at Bunning store and so forth. It's just different. There's a different feeling in the community. Yet there are still people who basically say, look, I need a hug. I need close contact with people. I need to still be a human being amongst all this disaster. And they're still taking responsibilities. They're still wearing their mask and hand leathering up and doing all the stuff that they need to do. But we don't have to live so extreme all the time. Mm. And I think we have to understand that there are people in the community that do need us. There's people in the dog training in the community that still need to be, you know, they they feel isolated. They feel like they haven't got connection with people, that they're unplugged from their dog training matrix, I guess. And that's where I think it becomes a little dangerous for people sometimes. Oh, it's, it's massive. And I can see it in my profession, like I'm working again. Mm. And I know that Zoom is recommended, but not everyone benefits from Zoom. And mm. as a, like, as a clean tech, we see a lot of people who really struggle. So yeah, you have to really use the freedom within that space that you have and be safe and just talk to people what's good for them, what's safe for them and, and what's the recommendation. But the main goal, what I want to talk to everyone about is having a bit of clarity while people react a certain way. Mm. I want to give people an understanding why people react differently under pressure. Where is this coming from? And I think there's a lot of healing to do for us, for everyone. And healing starts with us as an individual. The more we heal ourselves, the better we are for the greater good. Mm. And I thought really hard about it and I thought, no, we're going to do this properly. So it's it's maybe a bit of a slow set, but I want that you really have ability to understand, hey, this is why this person chose this reaction or this or subconsciously or this is why they reacted this way. The more you understand it, the more likely it is you have kindness. You know, there's this joke running around the community that a psychologist can't get mad at people because we can understand why they act a certain way. And it's true. Mm-hmm. However... Being kind and loving doesn't mean you're a pushover. So having empathy is acknowledging the human in the person in front of you, but having boundaries is acknowledging the human in you. Mm. So it has to be that really beautiful dance between setting boundaries and having empathy. And that is part of our teachings in life that we have to master. Would that interest you? Mm. Totally. All right. Now we're in my wheelhouse. This is something I want to talk more about. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So I want to start with a little metaphor. So metaphor is a little story, just so you get the idea, because I think that's a nice way to do an intro. Do it. So this metaphor is from Acceptance and Commitments Therapy, and it's designed by Stephen Hayes, and I've adapted it a little bit, but it was originally from- Who's Stephen Hayes? He's the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, one of the founders. Mm -hmm. So the metaphor is called the passengers on the bus. So story time. Imagine your life is like a bus. You are the driver of this bus. From the moment your life begins on the road of life, you begin to pick up passengers. Passengers come from all of our unique life experiences and form constellations of feelings, beliefs, bodily sensations, impulses, and so on. In other words, 
We can think of passengers as everything that goes on inside us. It's our inner world. The road, on the other hand, represents the situations and people we encounter, our mission in life, our purpose. So now the question is, how do you keep in charge of your steering wheel? How do you end up where you go? Because the more people hop on your bus, the more difficult it will be to stay true to your mission. So for instance, you can be on that bus and you maybe have a difficult childhood. So all of a sudden you have passengers in your bus that maybe make it hard for you to trust others or that make it really hard for you to stay connected or feel connected with others, to have emotional intimacy with others. So all of a sudden you're driving in this bus of your life and these passengers are constantly talking to you. They're constantly nagging with you. They maybe criticize you. They maybe doubt you. They maybe always want you to stay in the same place, stay safe, don't risk anything. And that is in schema therapy what we call coping modes. So coping modes are ways how we react under pressure, how we learn to survive. So when these passengers in your bus are arcing up, when you have these experiences talking to you in your head, you start having coping modes because your needs haven't been met. And at that time, you made the best out of the situation. You learn how to survive. So throughout your life, you're constantly having to fight these influences you have in your life. And you have to understand, that's part of your life journey, how you cope under situations. And this is why you can have twins and they had the same situation, the same exposure, but because of their personality, their genetics, they react really differently to the same influence. So I want to give you examples first. What are the core human needs? Because behavior, if it's like an iceberg, you see the behavior, but underneath the water surface, you have the unmet needs that display that behavior, right? So when a person displays an unhelpful or uncomfortable behavior to you, the behavior is not necessarily the most valuable information. It, underneath what we have to look at is what needs have not been met that they display that behavior, mm -hmm. okay? So I want to show you or explain to you the needs that we all have, and depending on what needs haven't been met or which ones have been violated, it shows up in your behavior in certain coping mechanisms. Are you with me still? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah? All right. So the common needs for humankind for us is we need to feel safe and have stability. If you grew up where, where safety and stability haven't been met, you will feel that in your life. That will be constantly something that as soon as a flavor in your life comes up that threatens that, you will feel it. There will be a passenger in your bus in your life going like, oh, this is really dangerous. You will be vulnerable to that trigger, to that, we call it a schema, life trap. So safety and stability, really important. For instance, that could be natural disasters or neighborhoods or family or violence in families or just any threat to your well-being. The other need is that you have, that you crave for a secure, loving and reliable bond with one or more caregivers so that you can trust people, that they're stable, that they're safe, that they that you can count on them. That's really, really important because if that's not being met, relationships will be hard for you as an adult because you will be avoidant in your in, in attachment style or you will feel 
having a real difficulty with showing emotional int intimacy and trusting yourself to that you can manage that and trusting other people. Um, it's That would show up, for example, if one of your caregivers is not warm or unpredictable or they come and go out of your life, they abandon you, or there might be violence and abuse. So this is really important to recognize. And again, as soon as you feel like that love, reliable relationship is gone out of your life or this is a topic that you have to work on, you will be highly sensitive in your adult life to those topics. That will really show up. Other needs that are really important are the sense of competence, like that you have been taught how to feel like you can do things, you can take charge of things, and that you learned autonomy, that you're an individual, that you can hold space, that you can fill up space, that you can learn tasks and do things without having to maybe please others, that you just trust yourself, right? Like it's a skill. Mm. Another really important need is that you feel that you have been shown appropriate ways to express your emotions in a way to express your needs so that it was a, a space where you could say how you felt without being judged or minimized or guilt-tripped or that you are in a space where you can talk about your feelings because it's actually a skill to learn to understand what your emotions look like and how to name them. If you really struggle to name your emotions, there's um, a tool out there that's called The Reels of Emotions and you can Google it and they're like a hundred The wheels? The wheel of emotions. I will have it all on my webpage. Like if you okay. go to birdyoshitty.com and you sign up for my soulful library, you get access to a lot of those informations for free. Like there okay. will be a, a lot of resources up there mm -hmm. that you can just Google it. So that's really important to know that it was part of your caretaker's job to teach you how to express emotions, how to address your needs and how to have vocabulary for it. Another part, a really important need, is that you learn to be flexible and manage your own emotional and behavioral reactions, that you learn to think about yourself, that you learn to read your own body, your own sensations, how it gets expressed when you may be in a situation that is difficult and how that impacts others and how you can look after yourself while still hopefully being in a team player, but also learning to have boundaries within that. And having empathy, it's that dance, right? So if you don't have that, you might be a people pleaser in adult life. Or maybe you're super assertive and you're a bit of a more on a bullying side. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. There are things that we have to learn as an adult. Another need is that you learn to be playful and creative, that you learn to be really lighthearted, that you have space and opportunity to be just creative in that moment and just enjoy and embrace it without actually having to anything to really achieve or to perform. It's like this unconditional enjoying being in the moment with creativity and creation. So these are just some of the core needs. There are more, but these are the really important ones. And these things really show up as for you as an adult. It will shape you. And I believe, and I not just believe, I know, science knows that too, that in these times where we are so fearful, anything that gets triggered here will press your buttons and you will react. Mm -hmm. And when you react, those coping modes, we call them in schema therapy maladaptive coping modes, unhelpful coping modes, they can be categorized in three big groups. That could be you overcompensate for your trigger or you surrender, like you just, in animal language, it would be fawning, you know, like you you belly flop, like you submissive. Mm -hmm. Like helplessness. Yeah. 
or you avoid. Mm -hmm. So far, what I want you to take away from my little theoretical talk is that people whose behavior you see and they display a coping mode that you find difficult to witness could be because their needs haven't been met mm -hmm. or you are struggling with your own world. But very often all we can do is really that we take accountability for our own behavior mm. because most of the time people are just, their reaction says more about them than it says about you, mm -hmm. unless this is an ongoing story in your life. Are we having questions so far? No, it all makes sense. All I, makes sense? Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of where you're headed with this, but in every instance, those critical needs being met is the key to everything. And more often than not, whenever you see anybody being unkind, it's very rarely because of the actions of the person they're being unkind to. It's usually, well, in my experience, and certainly I work fucking hard to try and identify that, is that when somebody is being a fucking asshole, it's usually because of some unmet need that they have And there could be lots of reasons. Maybe they're trying to fill that need then through their actions or they're trying to take away yours, you know, because they want you to feel the way that they feel. I could be off base totally, but more often than not, when I see people, especially in the dog community, when people are being unpleasant with each other, it's more often than not in my experience that they are in a place that is super uncomfortable for them. And their coping mechanism is rather than trying to get out of that place, they try and pull you into it with them. They recreate their world. Yeah. Misery loves company. Mm. You know what I mean? And and they try and pull you into it rather than and, – and I think sometimes, you know, applying sort of the things we know of behavioral science is like you get that learned helplessness where sometimes people can't see a way out of their own misery in spite of you offering it to them. When you're like, hey, I know the way out. Stop acting that way. And they can't see that. They can't act that way and they need to pull you in as well. And my experiences, Leo, like you said in the start, like I try really fucking hard, like for a long time in my life, I really wasn't important to be kind to anyone. And I have in the last few years radically changed that. And really, I try with every interaction that I have with people, especially when I comment on anything or say anything to anybody, I always make sure, why are you saying that? Because sometimes you have to say mean stuff to people, right? Or tell people things they don't want to hear is a better thing to say. I think that's a huge difference. Yeah. I think that's a huge difference. You don't have to be mean. Yeah, okay, sorry. But you sorry, can speak your truth. Sometimes, especially in, say, as a coach, this is, you know, for me, especially in my day-to-day -day job, people send me videos and they have paid me for my opinion. And sometimes my opinion is not what they want to fucking hear. I usually deliver the compliment sandwich. Like I say, hey, you did this good and this part needs work and then this part is good as well. Like I try to find a way to be heard and not be destructive and, and not have them just turn off to what he's saying. But sometimes I have to deliver bad news to people, right? And I think that I try very hard before I do that is to say to myself, like, is there kindness in this? Are you trying to help this person? The negative feedback that you're about to give, is that with intent to help them get better or to let them know that they're just doing something wrong? And if I ever feel like I am talking to someone in a way where I just want you to know that you're doing something I don't like or I think is crap, I don't do it because it's like, that's not good for me. It's not good for them. But if I am sure, if I'm absolutely sure, the reason I'm giving you this feedback that you're not going to enjoy hearing is with kindness from me, then that's when I'll, I'm happy to do it. And I also think timing is such an important tool. Like, yeah. you know, when you plant those seeds of change in people, are they actually receptive? Timing's always 
yeah. crucial in everything. So I mean, as dog trainers, it's one of the preaching points on everything that we do and talk about is it, timing is not important. It's critical. It yeah. is. It's such a huge topic, but in the end, very often you see two egos just talking to each other if both are unaware, right? Mm. So there is no growth happening for anyone. We're just defending our egos. Mm-hmm. And it's so humbling because I'm like, far out. I'm putting so much effort into my own development. And just the other day, I just got caught up in the biggest ego wank in history. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, like it just we really have to understand that just because we understand doesn't mean that we're flawless. We, we still do that. But what I'm trying to really get across today is really – Stop before you respond. Have a check-in with yourself and just have a look. What do you need to feel safe and heard and listened to? And what does your opposite, like if you care about that person in front of you, what do they need? Because if they're acting out and you know them quite well and it's it's unusual for them, something happens for them. Mm. And you before mentioned something, we call it an effect bridge. So you can have a reaction to a current trigger and you maybe go like, wow, my reaction is quite disproportional to the trigger. But that is because you have felt a similar trigger many times before in, in your past experience, right. right? So it's an overlayered trauma effect that just gets boosted out. So for instance, if someone can't take feedback and they're really hypersensitive to feedback or any pressure, it's probably not... Their reaction is not just for that moment. It also goes back. How have they been criticized when they were younger? How have they been criticized when they were vulnerable? Have they ever learned that they actually can have power and grow from this? This is normal part. So we have to really understand when we see people coping and reacting, we don't just only see that moment. We get a history of that topic for them. Yeah, We see a timeline in their life. Yeah, totally. Mm. That's something in the dog training space, we see a lot is there are a lot of people who, you know, when you put any content out, if anybody knows your name, then you're open to criticism. And like I say, sometimes criticism that comes with kindness is the best. And, and I really try hard to put myself out for that and receive it with the intent that people give it. But I for sure have, you know, there are people I know who have probably never received kind criticism in the past. And when you give it to them, they can't identify it as that. And then you're at heads, you're, you're bumping heads with each other. And what I try to do is put myself in their shoes and say, Hey, for me, when someone acts kind of oddly like that, what I do is I think, what would it take for me to act that way? And I think like, what would have to be the steps that would have put me in that position to react in that way to what I just said? And by doing that, then, yeah, empathy, right? And like empathy doesn't come to me. I had to fucking work. I I had to build that. I was very proud of you. And Like I had, I would say for a long period in my life, had no capacity to feel it and, and had to learn how to relearn how to do it. But by putting yourself in their shoes and understanding like, you know, from a very egocentric point and say, for me to act that way, what would the steps have taken for me to give that reaction? And then more often than not, that is what happened to them, right? It's not, and that's the crazy thing. Like very often it's actually not so hard to imagine it. Yeah. But I think what we have to do is so importantly, and if this is the only thing that I that you take away from today is when you go into a discussion with someone, maybe don't think about the outcome, but just think about are we both feeling safe and heard right now? Can we stay in this space where we feel safe and heard so we can keep discussing? Mm -hmm. That's hard work. 
it's fucking hard work. That's, yeah. I lost my, I lost, I had a massive ego tanty on the weekend mm. and I tried really hard. So it's just sometimes, it depends what topics it is. But if it's a topic that steers you inside, like one of those passengers that has been following in your life, maybe even over generations in your family history, you will arc up. Mm. And the window of tolerance to have this really healthy discussion can be really small. But what you need to do is you maybe need to break off. Maybe you need to say, I need a cup of tea. Maybe I go for a walk. Maybe let's do this. Because you still can hurt people when you go out of that, right? And I believe we're entering a stage right now where we really have to show kindness with each other because we won't agree all the time. We have to sometimes just go like we disagree and that's okay. Mm. But I really encourage people that you go like go in with this, hey, there's another human sitting in front of me. They have feelings. If they are up, they don't feel safe or heard or loved. And I'm not talking about hippie love. I'm talking about feeling safe, having my needs met. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind when you engage online on Facebook. Keep that in mind when you go shopping. Keep that in mind that the energy you put out in the world is being received. You're not invisible. So mm-hmm. if you go through the shops and you have a stink cloud around you, notice your stink cloud. We will feel your stink cloud. It's okay to have a stink cloud, but just be aware of it. You're allowed to also have a bad day. There's no problem around that. But if you also have a day where you can smile, we will also feel it. So I really encourage people to, if you have a day where you can take power back and you can have a space where you feel like you have love in your life and you can have good mojo, pass it on. Mm. It's needed. I can't recall who I was talking to about this the other day. I just want to quickly circle back to originally when you were talking about amygdala activation. I no way claim to be a neurologist or a psychologist or anything like that, but I read, I've taken a fascination about the amygdala over the years because it leads, yeah, it's fascinating and the triggers that it leads to certain types of behaviors, especially in aggression. And I also see things in myself, you know, since I've been reading a lot of Sapolsky. And even going back to Skinner and his work on talking about neurology and so forth, it's very interesting to see in yourself when you've got amygdala activation, Mm. you know, like who I become when I can feel like I'm not in control of my actions as best as I could be. And I summarize that to that's my amygdala talking, you know, it's part of the ego, it's part of the amygdala, but I can see sometimes where sometimes I'll look at people like you're the enemy. And I think that's somebody that I've interacted with over long periods of time. Why am I seeing them differently all of a sudden? Like what mm. transpired for me to, to feel this way about this person? And sometimes when you meditate on that and you think back to it, you think there's no reason to really feel like this. They're not really what I've conjured up in my head. But even the aura that you, I'm, I'm not making a spiritual, but even the aura that you can see around them, it's red and flamed, you know, like you can, you can feel yourself I may, I can even feel myself becoming irate now. Like I'm working myself up into a state because I can think back to times where I've seen people and it's like they're trigger clickers. They trigger this emotion in you and suddenly you go, you're different to me today. Like I don't like you and I don't like being around you. Whereas I've learned to control that a little bit more now. There are still people that I, I don't want to be around. I confess. There are people that I just, I'm happy you do you and I'll be me. But that's you know? not necessarily bad. It's not a bad thing. That's it's just it's, a boundary. It's best for everybody. It's just best for everybody. 
But as I said before, I just can't recall the conversation who it was with, but I recall points of it where I was talking about somebody said to me the other day, a close friend said, you've been less active on social media, like especially in the discussion group and so forth. And I said, sometimes I just don't, for an ego sake, I don't feel like I have to contribute because it's already been well saturated. There's nothing that I really need to say. I've said this before. There are other times where I just think if I said something now, it would probably be unkind. And it's just not necessary. It's not necessary for me to have input here. There are times where I've seen things, especially with all this COVID stuff going on, that I can feel my fingers reaching for the keyboard. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, you idiot? Mm. Like you're not contributing anything positive right now. Oh, I feel you. I've been there this weekend and in the end, I just. I'm slapping my hands away from the keyboard. Like I'm literally, I can see it now. Whereas before I'd say, no, you need to get a dose of Glenn Cook today. And I'm thinking, (laughs) who the fuck are you, you idiot? Like. What really is this going to contribute to society today, apart from getting a few people who agree with you and a lot of people who will think you're an absolute wanker? It's just times where you have a little bit of self-control where you just say, I don't need to today. I really don't need to. You know, there's enough of that already going on. There's enough sinister words being said. There's very little love and very little active contribution to it. I just don't need to be another person who does it. So sometimes I'm thinking... Today is just not a good day to say anything. Maybe just be with yourself and be with your own thoughts. But that's and- so important to be with ourselves because that's the only space where we can heal, right? Mm. And I do believe it's so in days where people have more access to social media because they're at home, we're in lockdown, yep. that we are mindful how we put our messages out, that we don't create extra fear, that we don't create extra criticism, that we stay kind to each other and think about other people like – I saw the other day a quote and it said, we're not in the same boat, we're in the same storm. Some of us are sitting in a yacht, some of us sit in a canoe and some of us are drowning. I saw that. I, lo- I really like that saying. Yeah, I'm sorry that I forgot who, who wrote that quote. But I really liked it. But I really encourage us that if you're sitting in a yacht, think about the people drowning. If you are in a canoe, think about the people around you. Like you need to step out of your immediate circle and think a big picture. Mm. Not just about yourself, like think big picture. And I really want to go a little bit more into our coping mechanism so you understand what you do as an individual. And I will have resources over the next couple of weeks up on my webpage too so you understand your own coping. But you need to understand when you're triggered that you either go into overcompensation, you surrender or you avoid. And you need to learn to identify these things in you so you can heal. Because otherwise you're just perpetuating that schema and it maybe shifts and you go like, oh, I'm getting better. Maybe you don't. Would that be all right? Hit us with them. Mm. Boom. All right. So here are ideas how you can overcompensate. Overcompensation is getting triggered when something in you, a life event, a life trap like a schema or something difficult when your needs haven't been met, make you cope in a way so you don't have to deal with it. So it doesn't mean that you have dealt with it. You just kind of taking the focus away. And the way you do this is, for instance, that you become obsessional or excessive around it. Like you numb yourself, for instance, you could go like, I'm becoming a workaholic. I'm learning so much that I never have to deal with it again. Or you focus on order and structure. Or another way could be that you rebel and you become passive aggressive. Another way could be that you're status seeking or recognition seeking. Like you kind of go like, I want to be heard. And without having much to say, you just want to be heard, like you're loud, you're taking up space. You could be dominant or you can assert yourself quite excessively. You kind of control others. 
you make it really sure that you're in control and empowered the whole time so that you don't have to deal with feeling vulnerable. Or you can be quite hostile and aggressive, like you bully people a little bit or you defy or you take freedom away from people. So these are ways how you can overcompensate. So I'm an overcontroller. Mm. If I, like literally I'm creating a podcast around it because I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) You have to learn and go like, well, what do I do when I'm being put under pressure? Mm. So I'm the person that then either avoids it totally and doesn't put any effort into it or I make a fucking PhD out of it. Jeez, I think you're sitting at a table full of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But it's also society reinforces that one really heavily. Yeah. Right. So there is a Likert scale. A what? A Likert scale is a 1 to 10 rating. Okay. Are we having some sort of language problem there? Did you say Likert? (laughs) Maybe it's Likert. I don't know. Likert? Let's take it down. No, no. What? How do you spell that? Rating scale. L-I-K-E-R-T. Likert. Likert. Like it. I've never heard that before. Anyway, a scale of one to 10. Oh, yeah. You could just, you know, use a dial up. It's just, it's fluid. Like it's not okay. yes or no. Right. It has intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do that every now and then, that's no problem. Probably a good business person if you do that. But the idea is it can't be your only coping strategy. And it also, you have to look, do you impact others? Mm. So for instance, my husband didn't like living with me last night because I was putting my podcast together and he just had his birthday. So, I mean, that's not true. Dan is very generous. That's probably Happy birthday, Dan. Yeah. Happy birthday, babe. He's very generous, but I can be really consuming when I'm onto something. Like I can forget around the world. Like who needs to do washing and dishes? Mm -hmm. I'm just in my world. So that's really important that you recognize it. So overcompensating could, or that you, for example, Ask for reassurance the whole time. Like you always want more. Mm-hmm. And that is also this people pleasing leads into surrendering. When you kind of give your power away because you always look up to other people, to authority, pleasing others, not standing up for others, struggling to hold your views and your points. You, for instance, take everything without any question. Like if someone gives you an order or a direction, you don't think about it. You just take it in. You don't question it if someone makes you do things that you may be not comfortable with you do it anyway or you being talked into things that you actually don't want to do they don't agree with your values but you do it anyway simply because you haven't learned to hold your space in discussion or in an argument or you're worried about that they guilt trip you or that they take your freedom or your love their love away so that would be surrendering Mm. very important that one Mm. avoidance is in its word, we avoid what we need to do. That could be that you socially withdraw, that you seek excessive autonomy. Like we see a lot of people who had trauma history that they praise themselves that they don't need other people. Mm. Not a good move. Not a good move. It's hard to trust people again and let them into your life because there might be people who are not trustworthy and you let them in because you haven't learned how to suss people out. But you have to be your social animal. <laughs> like we are connected. And I think it's so important that in these times we don't cut people more out of our life. I think there's this big movement at the moment that says, oh, if they don't align with you, just let them go. But you also have to learn to fight for something you believe in and coexist. Mm. Otherwise you're very lonely at the end of the day. Mm. And I'm questioning that. Like my, my Instagram feed is full with, oh, just set boundaries and let people go. I'm like, that's true, but you also need to learn how to repair. You need to learn how to apologize. You need to learn to disagree. You need to learn to let someone fly whilst you 
have a different opinion. Yeah, I think that the magic is finding the boundary on that. Um, it is, it's wisdom. I think for sure there's people that I've cut out of my life that I'm just like, nah, fuck you. If I never see you again, I'm happy. But then there's other people that I'm like, hey, I'll be waiting over here, man. Yeah. Right now we're not a good fit, but I'll always answer the phone when you call. I think finding that right balance is kind of tricky, like knowing who for you is straight toxic and you just like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in the idea that there are toxic people, but like for you, there are, you know, you can be allergic to certain people. Oh, you trigger each other. Hurt people attract hurt people. Yeah. And sometimes the two types of hurt don't agree. I've said it like three episodes in a row now. Birds of a feather flock together. I know this is a really negative statement, but it's an observation that I've had and I still maintain it. Shit people always find shit people. Mm. Like in the dog training industry, the worst in the industry always seem, it's like a gravity well where they can't not find each other. It just goes bing and they're like magnets to each other. I don't know why. Or I know why. I can tell you. Tell me. You recreate your nervous system that you grew up with. So if you are surrounded... As a kid, you were surrounded in an unstable household where there was not much love. Your needs weren't met. That's what your nervous system got used to. That's the temperature and the feel and the smell of your nervous system that it tries to recreate. Mm. And that's so in life, it feels safe when you have the same makeup in other people mm. because that's what you associate with home. Yeah, and I can think of the even the people you're thinking of, Glenn, and I think it ends up being because like people who are dodgy and, you know, are – always looking for a way to fuck someone over, they feel safe together because at least I know what you're up to, right? Yeah, like you and I have had that conversation before and yeah. you dispelled it really well and it made complete sense to me. Yeah. So they're mm. over-controlling, they're overcompensating by seeking mm. control, Yeah, right? So that's where the compassion should come in. You go like, wow, you feel so unsafe that you'd rather be with people that might not have the best interest in you but you just feel safe because you know what's going on. At least kind you of like know. The, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the saying, a den of thieves. Yeah, no, that's exactly it, mm. right? So it's like, well, I know you're going to fuck me at some point, so at least it won't be a shock when it comes yep. like because we're together fucking other people over. Yep. We're ripping people off together. Mm. It's going to come as no surprise when it turns out you were ripping me off all along mm. and so like I'm going to be okay with that. It's not going to break my heart because I know it's coming. It's exactly it. And it's exactly as you say, the reason people find themselves in that position, I think, is because it's happened to them, you know, so much or it's so ingrained in who they are that it's unsafe to be around people who are trustworthy because if it were to come from them, and of course it could by accident or on purpose, that feeling of betrayal would be so strong that it would be devastating. Mm. So they have to stick with people who they know are going to fuck them over because it's like, oh, well, that's just commonplace. So, so this is all part of the overcompensating. So what we hear in that scenario that you just said is manipulation, exploitation, being obsessional about who you let in just to have control and dominance and hostility and aggression. Mm. But what we have to understand is behind that, if we strip the human suit down to just a aspects of their self there's a child that had a shitty upbringing most likely that genetics as well and i'm not saying that you should have so much compassion that you put yourself in a difficult situation that's where your boundary kicks in you have empathy for them but boundaries for yourself but if we all would walk through life and instead of seeing the human suit in front of us we would just look at hey what's their makeup what's their self look like what's their soul look like you would see a lot of her people Mm. You know, in professions, even psychology, but even professions where people are dealing with very strong aspects of severe mental health, dangerous mental health, where people are 
you know, putting themselves out there and the acts of kindness they do for these people day in, day out and subjecting themselves to abuse and, you know, some really intense times, I've got nothing but pure respect for those people. Like that is so incredibly difficult and the the level of compassion. It kind of reminds me of when I was young, I used to go to church a lot and I had a pastor there called Keith and he was just an incredibly loving and patient, beautiful person. He just had nothing but warmth for human beings but all isn't the time. That amazing, incredible. That, like those humans, they stand out, right? And I hope that no matter because you just said pastor, and I always have to make sure that I come from the right angle. But I think it's really important that we, no matter what you believe in, no matter what you represent in your life, that we, I think, we have something that we can connect to, and it should be something along the lines of love that we want to bring into this world, whatever you want to call it, whatever flag it flies under. But this is the time where just talking about those things is not enough. You need to show it. Mm. Well, Otherwise, he did, you just, but he did. He, he did, and that's what I was just yeah, going to say. He walked that path. He married Narelle and I. Like He was, oh, he was our – but he's, he's a part of our family. He'd be a really, really old guy now, but he walked that path on a daily basis and never, ever presented himself as a perfect person. He'd made some stuff ups and he owned it too, you know. Like I remember a, you telling me. Mm, yeah, he owned it. The thing I loved about him and I still love about him is that he's a human being, you mm. know, like he never presented himself like I'm different from you or I'm better than you or I'm above you or I'm a, I'm God's messenger and I can't be approached or brought near. He sat with you like normal person. He was just a a good community leader with a big heart that cared about people. He was the right person for the job because there was no, I'm going to sit you down and push God down your throat. It was, I'm going to listen to you and love you and- Make it safe well, so they can listen. You know, look, I'm putting myself out there, but when I was a kid, I didn't really feel loved in a lot of circles. But when I was around people like him, I did. You know, mm, like he, he made me feel- like I was special and that I mattered. He was one of the few people that I remember, you know, like sitting with other people and they, when you share stories about people like Keith, people in that community felt important and they felt loved. He just came into the room. You know, when somebody comes into the room and they brighten the room up, Mm. he was that person. He walked into the room and instantly the room glowed because Keith was there and, you know, like he'd come over and he, he wouldn't just shake your hand, he'd grab your hand. And he'd pull you over and he'd say, how are you? Tell me how you are. And he had this big, beautiful smile and his eyes just lit up like he was so interested in you. They're the sort of things, Bertie, that I think when you're talking about this subject, I think they're the sort of things that are disappearing from the world a little bit. Yeah, because they're not famous on Instagram. That's right. Like this is not what we're being taught. Mm. They are kindness acts that go unnoticed in the big scheme. Yeah, it wasn't about farming likes. It was about... This is my purpose in life. This is what I'm here to do is to make your life better. But isn't that all of our purpose that we bring love and light into this world in a genuine way? I, I think we've lost contact with that. Yeah, and this is why I'm here today because I'm sick of it. And I'm not a role model. <laughs> I'm not a role model. Like I haven't figured it out. But I just think that we should take a look at ourselves and go like, well, what am I going to stand for? Well, all three of us are messengers in some way. That's what we're here to do is to share messages like good, bad and indifferent. I don't think we've ever sat in front of here and professed that we're perfect. To be honest, I don't think we've ever said that to any crowd. We probably get carried away with things sometimes, but I maintain to my staff, my friends, my colleagues and anybody else in the world who's listening to me talk is that I'm a guy with a pocket full of rocks and a glass house. 
I'm by no stretch of the imagination a perfect man or a perfect person, but I'm learning on the journey and I'm learning with you guys, like some terrific things that I've picked up on life. I've picked them up from you two. Yeah, you know, like I've I've really. sat down and had even this morning, Pat and I were having some conversations about things that I was feeling strongly about, you know, and it's good dialogue between us sometimes that makes me think, hmm, I really need to rethink this. This is the importance of having some of these conversations is that we can sit down and think, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm wounded. However, I don't need to impulsively act right now. I can think on things a little bit longer. I can turn to other people. There are people in the community who are a little bit wiser than I am right now that can guide me or give me some sage advice or stop me from being my own worst enemy right yes, here. Yes, I think that's the wisdom in there is that you know when you are in those overcompensating, surrendering, avoidance mode that you go like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nothing grows in these modes. Mm. Like they they maybe work in that moment. They give you relief in that moment. But in the long run, not so much. And I I really want us that we can have the courage to look at ourselves and go like, okay, I feel better when I react that way. Like I have people like, oh, buddy, you know, always what to say. I'm like, yeah, but I also have a tongue of poison at times. I just have to constantly control it and not unleash it. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's really important that we honor others' journey and our journey, but that we step up. And I think now is a time that we go like, do my actions back up what I say? What do my actions deliver? What type of person am I? If someone will watch me, am I that kind of person that I want to be? Or am I just saying I'm a kind person, but my actions are actually not kind? Mm. And if you can't be, what do you need to be kind? Like clearly you're not well then. Like something's not going well in your life. What do you need to change? What can you do? Tiny, tiny, tiny steps just so that you get into a bit more breathing space. You just reminded me, I saw a meme a while ago that said, my goal in life is to be as good a person as my dog thinks I am. Yeah, it's yeah. good. <laughs> it's a great one. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really want that people, I, if you're having a rough day and you're listening to this and you go, like, wow, this is really hard, just Start small. Just question yourself. What can I, what do I need to do? Is it that I just need a walk today? Is it that I call someone? Is it that I say that I'm not okay? So don't aim for the end picture, just tiny steps. What about introspection? Like how dangerous can that be to do You mean navel gazing? You mean egotistical navel gazing? Well, just sort of really understanding yourself because I always feel like that for me has been a huge part of becoming who I am, I suppose, is really, and trying to be a good person and trying to be kind means not doing some things sometimes. Like take, for example, I don't like to compete with people because I don't like myself in competition. That's one of the reasons I why when we had a conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the reasons why like I enjoy PSA so much as a dog sport because it's really a competition against the sport rather than the individuals that you're with. Of course it is against the individuals, but much more against the rule book rather than the people with you. But the way my brain works and it's unhealthy is that when I go into competition against a person in anything, I make them a villain and I fucking hate them. And so I don't compete against people. And it really has made my life much better. Like to the point where I think I, was, I don't know if I've ever spoken about it, but like one of my best friends, we had a competition on MEPS, these stupid fictional points that you get for heart rate. And that the loser of over a month who could get the most of them had to get a tattoo that said out MEPT, right? And I'm covered in tattoos and I have, I even have a special spot on my leg where I get stupid tattoos. So getting that tattoo was of no consequence to me or him, right? Like he got the tattoo, I won, 
he got the tattoo and it was of no consequence. It's funny. It was, it, it wasn't a real loss. That wasn't it. It was just that I was in competition with someone and I, I'm unhealthy in competition. Like I don't like myself because the way that I have to win is I make you a villain. I make losing unacceptable to a catastrophic nature. And so it's unhealthy. So I don't do it. I don't compete with people. And when people want to compete with me, I'm like, hey, you can't because I want you to do well too, right? Like we can't compete. And that's what like I say outwardly. I'm like, hey, no, we're not in competition because I want you to do well. And that's what I say. But in reality, I'm like, I don't like myself when I compete against you. But knowing that means I don't do it. And so it's it's fine. But I wonder how much danger there is in sort of deeper introspection when you look at your own, like, say, unkind actions and then go like, how did I get to here? Is it possible that people can uncover something catastrophic within themselves and they should be careful doing that and should do that with someone like you? Or, you know, what's the rules around that? Or is there a thing that you can uncover and you should then go, oh, I need to stop and get professional help? So I'm a fan of having a safety net. Biggest part in clean psych training is always having a safety net. And I'll tell you why. If you have been influenced your whole life by a certain type of people, introspection will maybe only solidify what you have heard in your life because you haven't been exposed to any alternative views, beliefs or things. Mm. So I know that you're a very curious person too. You read a lot, you listen to a lot. So so you constantly have other inputs. So when you do introspection, it's actually not introspection. It is just to solidify what you have learned that week. Mm-hmm. So for me, I believe that it's really important that people learn to be by themselves so they notice what's happening. But it's also really important that you kind of have support and help that, that you just don't make the trenches in your brain deeper that are already there that you actually get input. Mm-hmm. It can be a clinical psych, it can be a coach, it can be a book. First step is learn to just be by yourself. First step, if you can be by yourself and you notice with that, that's a great start if you don't want to seek help. But I'm always a fan. Like I just had therapy last week and he opened my eyes to something. I'm like, how the fuck? Sorry, but it was a how the fuck moment. Are we still uncovering things? That's such hard work. Mm. Because you're a human being. Yeah, but let me tell you, sometimes make my life not easier. So I believe it's always good to invite other people's views in, even if you don't agree with them. Like, mm. you know, I challenge my coaches and therapists all the time. I'm a pain in the ass. But I believe it makes me think things as well, and it teaches me as well to hold my boundaries. And I tell most people that I work with, I hope you don't please me in therapy. Your goal here is not pleasing me. Your goal is that you own what you want to own. Some people find it hard to sit in that silent time with themselves, though, because the inner narrative is quite sadistic. But then it's important that you notice that and you go, like, I want to change that. Yes. But if you're constantly so occupied that you don't notice it and you're just an autopilot, you're fucking asleep in your life. Mm. You're not waking up. Mm. So even if you go, like, I don't like it, but I know that I don't like it and I want to get help, that was a good move. Mm. Heavy stuff, man. Mm. It was, but I think it's needed. Mm. I'm not going to apologize for it. I think we had a point where we should step up. So step one. I agree. What people have listened to you, they want to be be better. What's step one? Step one. Break it down, like make, make the yourself, easiest first step. First step, make yourself a little promise that you're going to f- do something about it. Don't let it go away. Hold yourself accountable. I like that. And I think that most books that I'm reading that I respect and I like the dialogue of what they're putting out there. And this goes back into dog training as well, but everything projects into 
this can change, but you have to be part of that change. And it also, you have to work in the, the small increments. No one's going to save you. It, no well, one's going to save you. you got to save yourself. It, yes. I love that. The point that I really love about it is all of the experts, when you listen to podcasts, read books, dog training, psychology, everything like that, they all suggest to you, this has got to be done incrementally. There's nothing that's ever going to happen in large chunks. It's got to happen at the pace that it's meant to happen. Divine timing is important. Yeah. But the first step is that you go like, I'm allowing myself on that journey. I'm going to keep on that journey and I'm going to stick to that journey. Mm. And that might be a really slow journey. That might be a journey, like to my journey, from my perspective, is highly frustrating because it's fucking slow. But it's okay. It's what I need. But I very often don't know what I need, but the universe sometimes knows what I need, right? But I think the first step is that you go like, I want to change. I'm inviting change into my life and I'm holding myself accountable. Then there are things you can do. Whether it is you talk to someone, whether you read a book, whether you listen to a podcast, whether you reach out to someone, you, or whether you go onto my webpage, birdieoshida.com. Sorry, that's sleazy advertisement. But, <laughs> but there, I, there Did was, you say it was birdieoshida.com? Yes. How do you was. spell Oshidi? O-S-T. Oh, shit. I can't spell my name. <laughs> I got so scared of being sleazy. Is it birdie with I-E or Y? No, it's birdie with a Y. So B-I-R-D-Y-O-S-H-E-E-D-Y. Dot com. Dot com. No A-U, just dot com. Yeah, we're going global. Okay, cool. Yes. There you go. So I will, over the next couple of weeks, put – Resources in there that I think everyone should have access to, to help yourself to have a better life. You can unsubscribe anytime. So you log in with your name and your email address simply because I can also then send you PDFs later on. You can always unfollow. It's all good. But I want to put resources out there that help me and just common tools that I think everyone should be taught in life just to be able to walk their path. Yeah, I love it because I feel we're a dog training podcast for the most part, but in our industry, I think that there's some of the nicest people I've ever met and some of the dodgiest people I've ever met are within this industry. And if we could bring us all to sort of meet in the middle, that would be fantastic. And I think you are the person with the resources to do that. I feel like your know, progress is usually made by people with two skill sets where you, you bring one into another. And I think that's what you're doing in the dog training space is coming in with your real human clinical psychology skills and your value that you add to the dog training community is mm. to offer that to the people within that community sure. while understanding their day-to-day. Because you get that. You understand what a dog trainer goes through day-to-day and what what the what the industry is. Whereas, like, if you, you went to a random psych and you were like, well, there's this dog industry that I'm in and they wouldn't understand what the fuck you're no, talking most about. Of some, I really enjoy my one-on-one coaching at the moment. Like, I really do. And most of them are dog people and they've had psychs and they're like, they don't get it. Mm. So I really enjoy it still because my workshops got cancelled, so I'm still Still taking on people at the moment. I send colleagues to you because when they come and share things with me and they are lost and confused and so forth, I just said, I'm not the person to speak to, but I have a colleague who can help you. And they've come back and said, it's really making massive difference. Thank you. Yeah. And look, confidentially is important. So we do make sure that, you know, everyone. I know you would never discuss anything with me about a friend or colleague. And it's the same with Narelle. Like Narelle and you both treat people for a range of different things. Like just because Narelle's my wife, it wouldn't matter if you two went in and had a consult with her, she would never discuss it with me. Because she knows how important it is that 
whatever's been spoken about. And you do the same, Bertie. I, I know that the two of you are consummate professionals and it also matters to you that people's confidentiality is locked safety. up and, yeah, it's safe. Safety. It's a it's safe safety. time. And, it's, and so it should be. Yeah, it should and be. And so it should be. Thank you so much for ha- having me. And, look, if you feel like you want to talk to me about things, send me an email. Sometimes it takes me a while to reply back. But I just want to give everyone, you can do this. Like you can change your life, small and steady, but you can do this. We can step up. Yeah, I'm on board. (laughs) I think empathy is the key for a lot of people, just understanding how did you get to that point. I can't feel what you feel, but I can at least try and figure out how you got there. Yeah, Mm. theory of mind, which could be another topic. Mm. I've said this before. I think this helped me out when I was going through some pretty bad and confusing times myself. And I say this to people who I can see be affected by life at times is that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but maybe it's not the direction you're moving in. Sometimes you just have to turn around and go back out and that's where the light is. That worked for me when I was walking into a tunnel that was closed at the other end. I actually had to backtrack and find the light at the other way because where I was going was not going to give me the relief that I needed. So there is light. It's maybe not the direction you think you're heading in. Yeah, and also sometimes in the darkness we see ourselves, you know, shadow work, very important. Mm. So important. Lots of treasures in the dark. Mm. So, But slow and steady, get help, get support. If you feel like that's hard for you to do, that's an indicator you should work on it. And be kind. Yeah, be kind to each other. Question yourself when you say and talk to people, what are you representing? If I don't know you, do you look like a kind person towards yourself and others? Like, I don't mean that you self-sacrifice and you martyr yourself. That's not what I mean. Mm. To be honest, it's difficult to be kind all the time, but you can try. You can try and you can have boundaries and say, hey, I can't do right now. Yeah. Like that, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer. That's not what I mean. Yeah. Don't try and be perfect. No. Mm. In the immortal words of Will Farrell. Everybody love everybody. Yeah, yeah. Peace Peace out. Peace out. Yeah. All right, I'm wrapping it up. Hey, thanks for coming in. Thanks for doing it. Heavy topic, but we got through it. We needed it. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, tell a friend in real life. If you know some fucking asshole, be like, hey, (laughs) listen to these guys talk about not being an asshole. Yep. Then they can attack us online. (laughs) Or on social media. (laughs) Yeah. Like, rate, share, subscribe, do all of that. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. We've got plenty of content in there and more coming, as well as jump into Teespring and get yourself some cool merch, rep the show. Mm. Doing all that helps us put the show together and keeps it ticking forward. Uh, And if you own a facility, there's a couple of people that are getting tapestries. They've reached out to us. (laughs) Um, They've got got warehouses and sheds and training centers. I know a couple of people said, oh, I've got a little room inside the house, but it's kind of to spread the word. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to be real here. There's selfish motive behind yes. this, but but also, but also, I'm we're giving it to you. So, <laughs> so some people have responded, and thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was cracking me up looking at some of those posts. People were like, "I'll put it in the spare room." Yes, yes. Do it. Go on. Put it in your spare room. Yeah. Spread the love. Do whatever you can. Anyway. Teespring, well, I said that, yeah. Mm. And if you want to get in contact with us, jump into the Facebook group. Like I said, there's plenty going on in there. I'm not very active in Facebook at the moment, but tag me if you want me to see something. As well as if you've got something specific to tell us, shoot us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com or you can get in touch with us individually. That's probably a better way if you've got something specific you want mm. to pass on to one of us. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>